Let's jump into this. This is part two of Beholding Jesus. Last week, we looked specifically at the announcements to Mary and to Joseph that they were going to give birth to this child, Jesus. And on a, on a really basic level, um, we talked about how they went from beholding the announcement of who Jesus is to believing. They, they chose to say, yes, I believe what you're saying. I believe this angel's message. And then they moved to obeying. And that's the invitation for all of us to behold Jesus, to believe that he is who the scripture says that he is, and then to choose to follow him with our lives. And while on the surface, it may not seem like we can really relate to Mary and Joseph specifically, there are some unique things that were going on in their lives that we all relate to. For Mary, her life was just getting interrupted. She's going about her business, pursuing her goals and her dreams, and God shows up and interrupts her. And she has a choice to make. Am I going to listen to this interruption, this thing that God wants to do in my life that he wants to birth out of me? And, and I believe if we'll be open to that, Jesus wants to speak to us. He wants to come right into the middle of our, our normal day-to-day lives and speak truth and invite us into um, maybe scary but also exciting adventures with him. And we also might find ourselves in positions in life like Joseph, where for him, um, this wasn't good news initially. He finds out that his bride-to-be is pregnant, and he's thinking the worst. She's cheated on me. And he's wrestling with, can I really believe her that she's saying the Holy Spirit did this? That sounds, that sounds kind of crazy. I don't know if I believe that. And he's wrestling with, do I divorce her and end this relationship? And listen, there are going to be times where we're not just cranking through life and life's great. There's going to be times where we're going through real hardship, real heartbreak, real challenges. But even in that, God wants to speak. He wants to speak life into our circumstances. He wants to invite us into a journey with him where he can bring redemption and healing even in the midst of the hardest seasons of our life. And so our our opportunity is to, to pay attention when God shows up and speaks, to behold him, to listen to what he's saying. We talked about how believing is really the holding part of beholding. It's going, okay, God, I'm gonna grab a hold of you and trust. Or God, I need you to come grab a hold of me in the midst of this difficult time, and he's there. And ultimately, when we'll behold him and we'll believe him, we can follow him and trust him in this life. So that's some of the ground that we covered last week. Now we're going to jump into this story of the shepherds. And so I want to do this by just reading this familiar passage. So, um, you know, you can do a few things. You can open your Bible and follow along. You can read on the screen. You know, if you're an imaginative person, you can close your eyes and actually imagine that you're out there in the field with the shepherds at night, whatever kind of helps you get there. Um, I thought it was funny uh, this week, you know, we've got all the Christmas movies starting to get recorded and we're watching those. And just a couple days ago, we're watching a Charlie Brown Christmas with our kids. You know, and Linus steps out on the stage and, and kind of quotes this passage. Um, I debated like showing that on the screen. He probably would do a better job reading this than I will, but... You're stuck with me. So here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the angels returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. God, would you make this word come alive even now this morning as we read? God, help us to see these shepherds. God, help us to see these angels. And Lord, Mary and Joseph, as, as they have their young baby, young Jesus, in a stable, in a manger. God, would you make this come alive in our lives this morning? God, help us better understand who we are and Lord, who you are and your great love towards us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in Houston, Texas, um, for a few years in elementary school, um, I started attending the private school that was kind of a part of our, our local church body that we were in. And one of the things that just you could guarantee was going to happen every single year was a Christmas play. And not only could you guarantee a Christmas play was going to happen, you can guarantee it was going to be the exact same one every single year. The same songs, the same beats, the same roles, like it was just going to happen. And so I remember being this kid growing up and it was like, you know, odds were I'm going to be a shepherd, right? That was just kind of the go-to. If you didn't really get a part, you know, at least you could put on a shepherd's costume or maybe, maybe a sheep's costume, right? That was kind of the lowest level of the, of the school play. Can anybody relate to this? Is it just me? Um, you know, so you really felt like you'd accomplish something if you moved up to like one of the three kings, you know, you got to wear the royal clothes and come, come sing in the song, you know, We Three Kings. Um, and then, man, if you really made it, like you got to be Joseph. You know, that was just, you'd arrived if you'd made it to being Joseph. But I think it's funny that in a lot of ways, um, the same way we sort of treat the shepherds in the play, they kind of get treated that way. Um, not just in the story, but, but in society, that was really a reflection of who these shepherds were. They were just kind of these nomadic wanderers. You know, nobody really saw them. They're just kind of out there alone with the sheep. You know, they, they really never had any one consistent place to stay. They were just kind of on the move. They just had that, that lowly task of just being with the animals. It sort of had that, that feel to it. And so we find these guys in that kind of just on the outskirts, as the outcasts, out in the middle of the field, you know, there's nothing glorious about this. You know, in our Christmas plays and our movies, we kind of glorify this beautiful scene. Man, the truth is, they're around a bunch of stinky sheep. And it's the middle of the night. They might be out in kind of a desert sort of area. Maybe they've brought them in near to town because it's at night. And, you know, these guys can't just, like, get a nice comfy bed and go to rest. They've got to take turns keeping watch. Nighttime is when, like, the predators come in and want to pick off the sheep. They actually have to be really vigilant at night. 
So imagine your job is late at night to be paying attention and making sure these sheep are okay. And then all of a sudden it gets loud. The light kicks on. I mean, immediately you're going, whoa, what is happening? This is out of the norm. And so here they are, verse 8 again. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Notice it's letting us know this is their, this is their way of life. This wasn't their camp out that just happened to get interrupted. This is their normal day-to-day routine. And they're out there living in the fields and they're keeping watch over their flock by night. See, the shepherd life um, in this period of time, it was very nomadic. It was a lonely, wandering life. Um, They had no real home. They would dwell in tents and they didn't really stay anywhere real long. They'd get to an area and, okay, we found some fresh grass to eat here, some fresh bushes for the sheep to kind of munch on. Hey, we found a a water source. Okay, let's hang out here for a while. And then they got to keep moving. Those animals are going to kind of eat up the resources there. And so we move to the next place. And they just had this nomadic lifestyle. Their job involved, number one, providing for the sheep. These sheep were not going to just on their own go out and discover what they needed to survive. Sheep are kind of known for being dumb and sort of needing guidance. And so these shepherds had to be vigilant. They had to keep moving. They had to go looking for the best places to eat, to drink. You know, there's different seasons. Man, there's dry seasons. There's periods of the year where it's harder to find growth. And so they had to really work to keep these animals cared for. Not only did they have to provide for them, they had to protect, protect them. That would involve fighting off enemies, right? We've got a picture of this in David in the old days when he was a shepherd, right? There were stories of him killing a bear or a lion. Um, They had to protect their sheep from predators that were there to get a free meal. But the protection went even beyond that. They had to care for injured and wounded sheep. They had to care for the young ones. If one wandered off, that mattered. It was valuable, and they'd have to go out and find it and bring it back. So they had to provide. They had to protect it was also a very personal thing. You know, these, these sheep weren't necessarily just kept up in some pen on their property that never changed. And just like, hey, they're in there, they're safe. The way they kept up with their sheep was this relationship where the sheep knew them and they knew their sheep. And so when they would come in in the evening, I mean, they'd count them off and they'd check them one by one and make sure, okay, everybody's here. But also the sheep knew their voice. It was pretty common for shepherds to congregate together and find like a watering hole and their herds would get all mixed up. And they actually would practice this kind of like guttural type call. Um, I guess we would relate it to like a whistle, but even a little, a little deeper than that. They, they had these calls and the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice and follow them. So it was time to go. They let out their little call and they start walking and the sheep come with them. So they protected, they provided, it was personal. There were some tools that were part of the job. They would almost always have some sort of a rod. And that rod would help them protect the sheep. It would also help them keep the sheep in line. It communicated um, fighting for them. It also communicated authority and discipline. Hey, get get back over here. Um, And often they'd carry around a sling. That would be their weapon of choice. Again, kind of reminds us of David um, back in some ancient times. So that's the life of a sheep now what's, or a shepherd. Now what's interesting about shepherds, you know, by, by the time Jesus 
shows up on the scene here. It very much is kind of this um, sort of looked down upon, outcast kind of a role. But really, it didn't start that way in the, in the Jewish community. In fact, their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's what they were. They were nomadic shepherds. It was much later in their history that they began to settle down in you know, what they were calling the promised land when they were traveling there and began to settle down and start farming and finding other means to provide. They were a nomadic people wandering in the desert, constantly on the move, looking for a place to settle down for a little while and constantly providing for and caring for these sheep. And so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. You know, often when we hear the story of Moses, we remember he grew up in Egypt and he was in the king's house. And then we know the period of time when he shows up at the burning bush, right? And he gets the call from God to go and set the people free. There were 40 years in between that period of time where he, he lived as a shepherd. It's interesting how often God called shepherds who tended sheep to ultimately care for and lead his people. Abraham shepherded people. Moses shepherded people. David, we've already been talking about him this morning. He went from being a shepherd out in the field to being the king of Israel. God's heart is closely aligned with a shepherd's heart. It's part of who he is. They're a reflection of him. And so here's these shepherds. They're out in the field. It's, they're, they're, it's no longer the glory days of being Abraham or Moses or David. Maybe they encourage themselves with those thoughts, right? Like, oh, we're just like King David of old. But they're just these outcasts. And so they're out in that field and they're minding their own business and they're doing the unseen, dirty work of caring for sheep. And then the miracle happens. Check out what the angels say here when they show up. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold. Remember, we've talked about that word behold. It means to really to lean in, to observe, to see clearly. It requires a long pause, a long gaze. It requires attention to detail. This angel's not just throwing out a flippant, hey, let me just kind of say this and move on. No, no, slow down, pay attention. What I'm about to say is important. He says, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Can you guys say all people? All people. Isn't that interesting that of all of the people that the angel could have come to, he found the shepherds out in the field the people that were the outcasts, the people that were the unseen, the undesirable, that's who heard first. That's who God chose to show up and speak to. Normal, average, everyday people. Yo, I'm, I'm grateful that he does that. I'm a pretty average guy. I'm a pretty normal guy. I'm not some highly educated, really intelligent dude. I'm, I'm a kid who was blowing it, screwing up, running from God. And I'm thankful that one day, he got my attention, and I was able to go, whoa, I'm beholding a God who loves me, who forgives me, who's giving me another, another chance at life, who's offering me eternal life. I don't deserve this. I haven't earned this. I'm just this random, knucklehead, 19-year-old kid stumbling through life, and he loves me. Jesus shows up for average, normal, everyday people. God loves us. And so he, he sought these shepherds and he declares this good news to, to them. 
And so, yes, this message is for all people, but look at verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel makes it personal. We bring a message for everyone, but this is for you. This child has been born to you today. It's kind of interesting terminology if you think about it. He didn't say a child's been born to this man and this woman. You should go meet him, right? When, when friends of mine have a, have a new baby, Crystal just recently had a child, I didn't think, oh, Silas has been born unto me. <laughs> that, that would be weird, right? No, Silas has been born unto the Hawkins. Now, he's probably stuck with me for a while, unfortunately. But he, didn't, he wasn't born unto me. I didn't come running to the hospital going, where's this child that's been born unto me? I got to see him. That's not what happened. I was happy for them. I was celebrating with them. I'm sure I'll get to know him a lot and we'll hang out. But like, he wasn't born unto me. This is unique. This is special. The angel says, hey, shepherds out in the middle of this field, this child has been born to you. What good news. Man, my hope is that more and more as the years go by that I don't become so familiar with the gospel that it's just this broad, vague thing. That it stays real and personal that God has come for me. I need him. He loves me. He wants to save me. He came for every single person on this planet. And he came for me. That's the good news that was offered to the shepherds. And then the angel makes the point of saying some things. This child is born in the city of David. He's a savior. He's Christ. He's the Lord. Now, this may not mean that much to us, but to someone who is Jewish, who knew the Old Testament, who knew the promises, when you start saying things like Christ, well, that's Greek. It means Messiah. This is the, the longed-for one that they've been waiting for to redeem all of Israel. He's the Savior. He's going to rescue and save them. He's the Lord. He's going to be king. And when he says, born in the city of David, the light bulb goes off. Ding, 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 ding. Because there was a promise made to David that the king would come from his line. There were promises in the scripture in Micah, for example, that say that that king would be born in Bethlehem. Guess who else's hometown was in Bethlehem? King David. Now you could do a little bit more digging on your own later, but if you want to jot this down, if you're a note taker, check out 2 Samuel chapter 7. In that passage, um, David is, is kind of much later into his rule and his reign as king. There's been a lots of ups and downs, but there's starting to really be some peace established. They've won a lot of victories. Um, he's, he's now had built this royal home for him and things are kind of settled in Israel and his heart begins to stir and he he actually gets kind of this sense of conviction like wait a minute God's house is still a tent God's house is still that tabernacle that we've been picking up and moving since Moses days this is hundreds of years later we're still we're still moving this tent around we've gotten settled we should build God a house and so David wants to build God a house and he tells the prophet Nathan that and they have this whole conversation. Well, then God shows up and begins to speak to the prophet. He says, hold on. I'm not all that worried about a house being made for me. I want to provide a home for my people. And we pick up the story. I'm just going to read a few verses from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. And God has this message for David. And he says, I'm actually going to appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed 
no more. Those nomadic, wandering people, the people who have been shepherds from their very early days, I'm going to provide a home for them so they wander no more. And, a violent, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled, talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In the Old Testament, God shows up and he says, Hey, David, shepherd, wanderer, person looking for home, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm not just going to provide a temporary home. I'm going to provide a permanent place where you belong. And I'm going to send that through a king that's going to come from your line. And that king will reign forever. The home will last forever because the one providing it will live forever. And he will rule and reign. This is the prophecy being fulfilled when these shepherds here declared to them that this child has been born in the city of David, the Savior Christ the Lord. This is that. He's here. He's arrived. And the message to the shepherds is the same message to David. Hey, guys. Those of you wandering and stumbling through life, no place to lay your head, constant change and movement, going from hard season, difficulty, trial, providing, protecting, earning, working, stressing, always on the go, looking for a real home, I'm here. I'm here to call you home. The king has come, and you have a place with him that will last forever. You know, I find it interesting as this whole picture gets painted here in 2 Samuel and then these shepherds have this message declared to him, to them, that this baby is born. Look at the final thing that gets said to them about Jesus. Luke 2, verse 12. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Look who else doesn't have a home. Jesus, the Savior of the world. He gets born where the animals live. He gets put in a feeding trough. You know, I, I just feel like we've so put this like shine on Christmas. You know, we've got these beautiful nativities. We've got a couple of them in our house, right? Just like there's the star and the, the shepherds and the sheep. They're just so perfectly placed in the scene. And, you know, there's Mary and Joseph with the halos and sweet Jesus laying there. Can you imagine being a mother and saying, the only place I can lay my kid is in this nasty, messy trough where the animals eat? Ugh. Anybody got, like, pets? Yeah, exactly. Ugh. <laughs> Silas is like, Mom, do not get any ideas. <laughs> it's disgusting. I mean, I change out our dog's bowl of food every so often, and I barely want to touch the bowl. We're going to put our kid there? Like, I just think sometimes we've got to slow down and get there. Like, I need to slow down and actually get to the place where this was real and it was happening. This is gross. This is disgusting. This is Jesus entering our world, experiencing the same things we experience. Wandering, lost, lonely, 
looking for home. Man, I just, I know what happens in my own heart at Christmas. I get nostalgic. I've got pictures in my head of like, what's that perfect Christmas look like? I don't think I've actually ever really experienced it though. Even my old memories, I've made them sweeter than they were, right? When I was actually there, so-and-so's annoying so-and-so, and I didn't quite get what I was hoping for at Christmas, and you know, there's just, there's, in reality, there's always something that's a little off, a little imperfect. Then there's some years that are just like flat out a bummer. It's broken. But see, the longing for home is because God has placed in us a desire for something that exists. We haven't quite gotten our hands on it yet, but it exists for us in his presence, in his kingdom forever. And Jesus came into our place, into our wandering, into that place where we don't have a home, neither did he. The scripture tells us, Luke, Jesus said this in Luke 9, 58. Somebody comes in thinking it's going to be amazing to follow him and Jesus goes, okay, you want to follow me? Cool, here's what it's going to look like. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The truth is Jesus was a wandering nomadic shepherd. Just like the guys in this story. Just like those ancient shepherds of old. And the truth is just like you and me. It's like us, longing, looking for home. In Isaiah chapter 40, it's another um, really beautiful passage reflecting forward to, to Jesus. Um, it'd be another good one to go dig into and read on your own if you want to do a little beholding this week. It's pretty amazing to look at scriptures that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born that so perfectly describe who he is, what he does, where he went, where he was born. It's, it's amazing. But in, in Isaiah chapter 40, um, you'll actually see some very familiar things. There's some verses in there that refer to John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We're just going to read a, a sampling of some of the verses that talk about this same idea of people, of us, wandering, drifting through life, and then who Jesus is. So, verses 6, verse 8, and then 9 and 11. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Israel, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus is coming to lead us home. He's coming to carry us, to bear our burdens and to bring us home. The scripture describes him as the good shepherd. I want to take a minute. I'm not even going to give a lot of explanation for these verses, but I want to read three different verses. There's many more in the New Testament that highlight Jesus as our shepherd and what that means and what that looks like for us. See, he takes the idea of a shepherd who provides, protects, fights the enemy, suffers, is personal, and he applies that in his relationship, shepherding us. 
So just let these, let these kind of wash over you this morning. John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's part of the good news being declared to the shepherds. Peter talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us. He's the shepherd. He's the overseer. He's come to us. And then John, in the book of Revelation, writes ahead to a day that's coming where this King Jesus, who has given his life for us, is going to bring us home, ultimately, eternally, into his kingdom forever. Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. Therefore, they, talking about us, the people who, who go to heaven, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the good news of the gospel that the angels are singing about. There's a shepherd who also humbled himself and became the lamb. He became just like one of us. He came and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for me, for you. See, the child in that manger was also the one who was going to grow up to be the man on the cross, the son of God, who was going to give his life. And he wasn't going to stay there. He was going to be buried, and then he would rise again three days later, living eternally, establishing his kingdom forever. And it's available to you and I right now. We get to live in it right now. And the beauty of what's available to us in Jesus is that even though we're still here wandering, we don't have to wander aimlessly anymore. I don't have to be stumbling around through life wondering how I'm going to make it, wondering where I belong, trying to arrange my life just the way I need it so it's comfortable and it fits and it's okay. I don't have to wander. I can follow the good shepherd. I can know that he's given his life for me. And I can know in the midst of my wandering, there's purpose, there's direction, there's a home that he's leading me to. And so these shepherds hear this good news they hear the message from the angel. And in verse 13, it says, Then suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The glory of God is Jesus, his life given for us. And the beauty of God's glory is that it's available to us. It brings peace to our lives. It brings his goodwill towards us. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they go on this journey from out in the fields 
and they head towards Bethlehem to go check out this child. There's this really um, kind of famous hymn. I think most of us probably know it, A Little Town of Bethlehem. You guys familiar with that? We sing it a lot this time of year. There's this really cool story behind this hymn. This was written in the 1800s. Um, It was written about three years after um, President Lincoln was assassinated. And the guy who wrote it, um, he he was a bishop. He was a pastor. He actually gave a eulogy for Abraham Lincoln. And a few months after he gave that eulogy, he traveled to Israel. And on his journey to Israel, um, he did this trek, this pilgrimage, that went from um, Jerusalem into Bethlehem. And he rode on horseback. So he's in Jerusalem, and on Christmas Eve, he makes this ride from Jerusalem into Bethlehem on a horseback. And so he talks about that experience. This is from his journal. Before dark, we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherds saw the star and the angels. It is a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it in which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. Somewhere in those fields we rode through, the shepherds must have been. And as we passed, the shepherds were still keeping watch over their flocks or leading them home to fold. While he was there, this guy Brooks, this Pastor Brooks, participated in a Christmas Eve service. It was conducted on the site of Constantine's ancient basilica. It was built over the traditional site of the nativity, a cave. The service lasted from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Wow, that's beholding. He he immersed himself in this experience. He saw the same place where the shepherds were. He went to the location where Jesus was born, and he was so overcome by this that he came home and he penned the words to O Little Town of Bethlehem. Three years later, his only intention with that song was to use it in Sunday school with the little kids. And so he had his friend, um, Louis Redner, write a tune to this poem he'd written so the next morning they could sing it with the kids in Sunday school. Neither one of them thought it would ever go beyond that. In fact, the guy who wrote the tune, he, he admitted later he procrastinated, and it was the night before church. It was like Saturday night, and he went to bed and woke up, and he had the tune in his head and wrote it out and showed up the next morning, and they did it. Isn't that amazing? Such a cool story. And so these guys have that moment together and they show up with these kids. And I, I want to read the, the last couple of verses of this as we kind of start wrapping this up this morning. The last couple of verses. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. You know, that that pastor wasn't there with the shepherds that night, but he learned how to behold. He learned how to come and see for himself. He recognized that that child that was born to Mary and Joseph, he was born to those shepherds, and he was born to you and I. That's the invitation. And so I want to I just wrap this up by encouraging you to pay attention to how the shepherds and Mary respond 
And this may give us an idea of some ways that we can respond to Jesus, that we can behold him during this season. And I don't know what that'll look like for you. Maybe it's finding some some downtime this week, carving out some time to reflect. Maybe it's something that you do with your family. But I would encourage you to listen to what what these shepherds did and what Mary and Joseph did. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, the story comes to a close. It says, They came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Make haste. Don't wait. Don't wait for Christmas to dawn on you. Go after Jesus. Don't wait. Seek him. Find him. You know, I love the beauty of this. They didn't see the angels and go tell everybody. That, that's miracle enough, right? I think I probably would have been like trying to take pictures and you guys wouldn't believe it. I saw these angels tonight. It's amazing. They didn't stop at the message. They went and saw the child for themselves. It was only after that that they started to spread the word. So come and see. Seek him. He can be found. And then put into practice some of the things the people in the story did. Folks marveled. They actually let the reality of what was said to them amaze them. Let's not be so familiar with Jesus in this story that we can no longer be amazed by the fact that God came to earth because he loves us. Ponder it. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Mary did that. She kept it in her heart. She thought about it. She considered those things. And then finally, they returned to their life. Their life wasn't different. They went back out into the field. They were still shepherds. They were still wandering. They're still looking for home. But they were different because they'd met the Christ. And so they went back differently than they had come. They went back praising, glorifying, and declaring how good Jesus was. I'm going to pray for us this morning. And um, I want to I start the prayer by actually reading this to you. I thought it was really interesting when I was studying this, this song. Um, there's a fourth stanza that never gets sung anymore. It gets kind of left out, gets removed. And so I thought it might just be kind of a, some fresh lyrics to this. And so I'm going to read this over us, and I'm going to pray for us this morning. I hope you can hear this as an invitation. Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee, son of the undefiled, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Jesus, I pray that we would be able to behold you. God, in this season, Lord, as we're, we're like the shepherds, we're walking through life. God, that we would see you, that you're the good shepherd, that you're calling us home, that you've prepared a place for us, that we can trust you, we can follow you. God, we, we all are coming at this from different places, different stories, different angles. God, we've got a variety of different things going on in our lives. But Jesus, I thank you that the good news is for all of us, that it's personal, that it's specific for me, for each of my friends. Jesus, I pray that we could behold you, that we would make haste to come find you, 
that we would marvel and ponder and consider the truth of who you are, that we'd be changed as we have an encounter with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to dismiss by just saying this. You know, I, I know we all know each other. We're, we're getting more and more familiar with each other and building relationship. And um, I believe wherever we're at, Jesus is inviting us to behold him. But I, I don't ever want to take for granted that every single one of us have, have had that personal encounter with Jesus where we've said yes to him, where I'm not just believing an idea, but I've met my Savior and I've said yes to him. And so I just, I just want you to know there is an open invitation to come and talk with me. If you got questions or if you're like, man, I don't have any questions, I'm just ready to say yes to Jesus. Like we're here for that. And so I'm, I'm never just gonna assume you've done that. We love you guys. He is available wherever you're at. Behold him this season, all right?